Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. When you tell people Jesus is the only way to be saved, you are simply representing the words of your master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Franklin Graham has written, A loyal follower of Jesus does not create personal ideas about these matters. All he or she does is faithfully represent the words of the Master. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, there are thousands of different religions around the world today and thousands more that have disappeared with ancient civilizations. So how can we really be certain that Christianity is the only true religion? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains why Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have undoubtedly spoken to friends and family who don't believe the things you do. And one of the common sticking points is this one. They say, don't all roads lead to heaven? And they add, after all, why would a loving God deny someone who is deeply religious? Well, in a moment, I'm going to tackle those relevant questions. But first, I'm compelled to remind you that time is running out to receive your copy of my brand new book called Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. You see, whatever challenges come your way, whether it's financial or perhaps the loss of a loved one, those burdens will be greatly diminished when you view those trials with an eternal perspective. I want to send you a copy of my new book called Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. Once you have an occasion to read it, you'll agree that it's perfectly suited to pass along to a friend who needs encouragement as well. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll make sure you receive your copy right away. Plus, when you respond today, I'll also include my popular brochure called What Seven World Religions Teach About Heaven. This is a clear and easy-to-understand resource that explains how seven major world religions differ in their views on heaven. We'll give our contact information after my message. But right now, let's give our complete attention to the topic at hand. Our primary text is Acts chapter 4. I titled today's message, What to Say to Those Who Deny There is One Way. I want to share with you today four things you can say to those who deny that there's only one way. Response number one. When people object to the exclusivity of Christ, you can always say, your argument is with the Bible, not with me. When people argue against this idea of exclusivity, they're really arguing against God's word, not against us. I think it's critical that we point out what the Bible itself says about this topic. For example, in John 14, 6, Jesus, the Son of God, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus exclaimed there was an exclusive way to God, and he was that way to God. Or consider the words of the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 4, verses 10 and 12. Peter was preaching to a group of Jews, and he said, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel 
that by the name of Christ Jesus of the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which you must be saved. Or consider the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10. Now, Paul said, my prayer is that my fellow Israelites would be saved. And he went on and acknowledged in Romans chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, that the Jews uh, loved God. They had a zeal for God. But that zeal for God was not enough to be saved. By the way, beware of those preachers and teachers today who say that God still has two covenants, two ways to be saved. One way for the Jews to be saved through the Old Testament and those for everybody else to be saved through Jesus. You hear that among some of the most popular TV preachers today, that God has this special relationship with with Jews that means they don't have to embrace Christ as long as they worship Jehovah God, that's enough, but everybody else has to trust in Jesus. Did God provide two ways to be saved? Is that what the Word of God teaches? Listen to what Paul himself said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He said, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now look at verse 12. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. There's no different path for the Jew and a different path for the Gentile. There's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, when you point out these verses, these words from Jesus and Paul and Peter, it's very important that you point out that Jesus, Paul, and Peter were not Southern Baptist evangelists, okay? They were Jews. Do you realize that? Jesus, Peter, and Paul were all faithful Jews. And yet these faithful Jews said, Judaism is not enough. You cannot be saved through Judaism. It is through Jesus Christ alone that you can be saved. That really takes the sting out of the anti-Semitic argument when people say, well, you must hate Jews if you believe that. No, the three most prominent Jews of the Bible said Christ is the only way to be saved. Now, when you point out what the Bible says, be prepared for two responses. Some people will say, well, that's your interpretation of the Bible. That's your interpretation. And of course, you can always come back and say, well, fine, suggest to me some other logical interpretation of Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If he didn't mean he's the only way to God, what was he saying in that verse? And most people will stutter and stammer and they won't come up with an explanation. But more likely, people will say to you, when you claim Christ is the only way to be saved, they'll come back with, well, well, who are you to decide who gets to go to heaven and who gets to go to hell? Only God can decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Now, when people say that to you, you say, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree with you more. Only God can say who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. But God has already made that decision. And it's found in his word. 
It's very important that we point out we are not concocting our own way to be saved. We are simply repeating what God has already saved. And we do so not to hurt people, but in order to help people. Uh, Franklin Graham has written, A loyal follower of Jesus does not create personal ideas about these matters. All he or she does is faithfully represent the words of the Master. When you tell people Jesus is the only way to be saved, you are simply representing the words of your master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Response number two, when people object to the exclusivity of Christ, response number two is truth by its very nature is exclusive. Truth by its very nature is exclusive. We pointed out several weeks ago that we live in a world that rejects the notion of absolute truth, especially when it comes to matters of spirituality. And yet there are other areas in which we readily accept the idea of absolute or objective truth. For example, you can ask a person, how many possible different answers do you think there are to the question, what is two plus three? How many right answers are there to that question? Or how many right answers are there to the question, what is the capital of Pennsylvania? How many right answers are there to that question? Now, people come back and say, well, I know what you're getting at, but uh, laws of mathematics, laws of geography, laws of science, those are precise. Those are exact. But when you get to areas of spirituality, well, that's subjective truth. That's a matter of one's own opinion. You see, people make a great error when they assume that just because things are unseen or invisible, that somehow they are not real or less exacting. And whenever you make that mistake of believing just because we can't see something, there aren't exact laws that govern that something, the result can be a disaster for us. On Friday afternoon, August the 2nd, 1985, Captain Ted Connors was preparing to land his jumbo jetliner at DFW Airport on runway 17 left. As he was on his final approach, he noticed a strange cloud formation at the end of the runway. At first, he thought he might fly around that cloud. But then he reasoned to himself he had hundreds of thousands of pounds of jetliner underneath him, three powerful Rolls-Royce engines, 43,000 hours of experience between himself and his other co-pilots. What damage could a little wind and rain do to his aircraft? But what Captain Connors didn't realize was that inside that cloud were invisible but very real forces at work. Microbursts, wind shear, vortexes. As Delta Flight 191 made its way through that cloud, Those invisible but real forces of nature grabbed hold of that jetliner and threw it to the ground, killing all 131 passengers aboard. You see, in an instant, Captain Connors and the air traffic controllers made an error in judgment, an error that all of us are in danger of making when dealing with the unseen. It's the error of thinking that just because we can't see it, somehow it must not be exacting. Ladies and gentlemen, just as there were very real laws of aerodynamics and physics that govern that doomed jetliner, so there are very real spiritual laws that govern your and my relationship with God. We can say, well, we don't believe in those laws. 
We're going to alter those laws. Or we're going to try to go another way and approach God in a different way. And when we do that, the result will be spiritual disaster. God has said there is one way and only one way to himself. And that's through Christ Jesus. Truth by its nature is exclusive. Response number three to those who object to exclusivity And that is, we ought to always say, God wants to save as many people as possible, not as few as possible. Whenever we point out to people that, yes, God has said there is only one way to be saved, we need to quickly add, but God wants to save as many people as possible. Uh, Consider again the words of those three Jewish men I cited earlier, Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter. Listen to what they said about God's desire to save. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, Paul said, For God desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Or 2 Peter 3, 9, the apostle Peter said, For the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Or Jesus' words in Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God wants to save as many people as possible, not as few as possible. Well, then the person asks if that's true. Why has God only said that he will save those who come to know Christ as Savior? Does it make sense that God would condemn people to hell because they haven't heard of Christ? Have you ever had people ask you that question before? How could a loving God send people to hell because they have never trusted or even heard the name of Jesus? When people say that to you, there are two biblical responses to that. First of all, uh, the fact of exclusivity, the faith in Christ is the only way to be saved, should lead us to evangelistic fervor, not spiritual smugness. The very fact that Christ is the only way to be saved ought to motivate us to share the gospel with others, evangelistic fervor, not this feeling, well, we've got the truth and we're going to sit on it and not let anybody else hear about it. But secondly, I think the Bible clearly teaches that God will reveal himself to those who want to know him. We ought to always say that to people when they say, well, what about, you know, the heathen in Africa or the people in China who've never had a Bible? What do, you, what do you say about those people? And you can always come back with the assurance that God will reveal himself to those who want to know him. By the way, that's what Romans 1 is all about. Romans 1 says anybody can look into the heavens and see the stars and the planets or look around and look at the trees and the plant life and animal life or even look at himself and realize uh, this didn't happen by accident. Anybody can look at nature and know there is a power greater than himself. There is a God. You don't have to have a Bible to know that. That's what we call in theology general revelation. Everybody who's ever been born has that knowledge of God. Is that enough to save us? Can I look up in the heavens and say, gee, there must be a God, therefore I'm going to heaven? No. No, if we believe what we heard just a few moments ago, that faith in Christ is the only way to be saved, then a knowledge and even a love for God is not enough to be saved. But listen to what Paul said in Romans 1. He said, many people have that truth, but they have rejected that truth. 
And they have replaced the worship of a true God with the worship of a false God they've manufactured with their own hands. It's like Dr. Charles Ryrie says, this general revelation about God is not sufficient to save a person, but it is sufficient if rejected to condemn a person. And people who have that knowledge that there is a God, but they reject or neglect that truth and never search for that God, Paul says they are without excuse. All mankind is without excuse. Well, pastor, what about people somewhere across the globe or across the street from me who do respond to that truth, but they've never heard about Jesus? They've never seen a Bible. They've never heard a gospel sermon preached. How in the world can those people be saved? I believe the scripture is clear. When somebody responds to the general revelation God gives them, if they have a right heart, a right attitude toward God, God will send them the knowledge they need in order to be saved. God will send to them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is trying to save as many people as possible. He wants people to be saved. He wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. And wherever on this planet God sees a man, a woman, a a boy or a girl who wants to know him, you can rest assured that God will send to that person the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, now, Pastor, do you really believe that? How can you believe that? By reading the Bible. Think about the book of Acts. Let me share with you real quickly three precise examples where that happened. Where somebody had the right heart attitude toward God, didn't know about Jesus, and God sent them the gospel. Think about the Ethiopian uh, official. Remember his story in Acts 8? He loved the God of Israel. He went to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel. On the way home, he was in his chariot. He opened up the Old Testament scripture, the book of Isaiah. He couldn't understand what he was reading. It was a passage about the Messiah. And what did God do? He saw a heart that was right toward him, so he miraculously sent Philip the evangelist to share the gospel with him. Philip helped make sense of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And that Ethiopian official was saved and was baptized. Or two chapters later in Acts chapter 10. Here is Cornelius, the Roman centurion. He too loved God. He wanted to know God. But that wasn't enough for him to be saved. What did God do? He miraculously dispatched the apostle Peter to come and share the gospel with him. And Cornelius became a believer. Or Acts chapter 19. Remember the story about the apostle Paul? He stumbled over uh, 12 disciples of John the Baptist in the upper regions of Ephesus. And as he questioned them, he realized these disciples of John, they were not believers. They were lovers of God, followers of the law, but they didn't know Jesus. What did God do? He sent the apostle Paul in order to share the gospel with them. What I'm saying to you is whenever God sees a heart that wants to know him, God will send the truth into that person's life. And by the way, he does the same thing today. Is it just at random that somebody sitting in a hotel room who wants to know God just stumbles across a religious television program or driving in their car, listens to a radio program or halfway across the continent, tunes into an internet broadcast, sharing the gospel through the airwaves? Do you think that is just by accident that those things happen? What I'm saying to you is the technology is available, the manpower is available today, not that God has to have those things, but he uses those things to get the message of Christ to anybody who wants to hear it. The fourth response that I make to people who reject the idea of exclusivity, 
is that the fact that God has provided one way of salvation demonstrates his love, not his hatred. The fact that God has provided one way of salvation demonstrates his love, not his hatred. Remember the friend I told you about last week? I was seated on the plane with him coming from Seattle back to Dallas. He was explaining to me the reason that he had given up on Christianity. And at the top of his list was the idea that we would claim that Christ is the only way to be saved. He said, I can't believe in a God who would be that intolerant to say that Christ is the only way to salvation. So I said to him, Suppose this jetliner were to crash and burn right now. All of a sudden, the flight attendant and the other passengers started giving me a dirty look. And so uh, I lowered my preacher voice just a little bit there in the cabin. And I said, suppose this jetliner were to crash. And just suppose that the cabin were filling with smoke, the interior lights went off. And the flight attendant was standing at the front of the plane with her emergency flashlight waving it saying, this way out, this way out. Would you accuse her of being intolerant because she was insisting there is only one way out of the lane? And in the middle of the darkness and the smoke, if I grabbed your hand and said, follow me, I'll help you out, would you say I was being hateful because I was trying to say there is only one way out of this burning jetliner? For the first time, my new friend began to see the point that I was making. And by the way, Let me point out one flaw of that illustration if you use it. That illustration is only good when people understand that their lives have crashed and that they are in danger of facing God's judgment in their life. Not everybody agrees with that. Not everybody understands his own sinfulness and need for forgiveness. People don't like to accept the fact that they are sinners. But my friend, he didn't resist that truth. He he didn't need a preacher to tell him He had fallen short of God's plan. As we landed and our plane was taxiing toward the gate, I wish I could say that in that moment he bowed his head and prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. Perhaps if I had been Billy Graham, that would have happened. He didn't do that, but he said this. He said, Pastor, you've given me something to think about. And although I'm not fully convinced yet, I promise you this, when I get home, I'm going to start reading my Bible and check out what you said. That was good enough for me. See, the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot force people to utilize the way of escape that God has planned. But that shouldn't keep us from courageously waving the light of God's truth in this sinful, dark world, encouraging people to utilize God's way, the only way to salvation. I'm hoping that today's message has inspired you to break out of your comfort zone and speak the truth about God's plan for salvation. As Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ. We carry His torch of hope, and it's our privilege to bring light where there is darkness. Along those lines, we're extremely excited about our brand new ministry to the Ukrainian people. Wouldn't you agree that Ukrainians deserve to hear some good news right now? Well, when you give generously to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we have allocated a portion of our budget to bring light where there's darkness. Let me give you a sample of what Pathway to Victory sounds like in the Ukrainian language. Ось що сказав великий проповідник Білі Грем. 
Весь світ страждає так, Yes, for the first time in our history, we are translating my sermons into the Ukrainian language so that people in this war-torn part of the world can hear about the hope of heaven. And it's all made possible because people like you give generously to Pathway to Victory. Today, when you give a generous gift, I'm going to send you my brand new book, Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. It's specifically written to encourage those who feel defeated. Look, when we're grieving the loss of a loved one, or when we're struggling with illness, it truly helps to remember that God is preparing a place for us in heaven. This book is for you, but it's also for the friends in your life who are dealing with losses as well. Here's David with all the details. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You can request your copy of the brand new book, Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Call us toll free at 866-999-2965 or visit online at ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you all 12 messages from the teaching series, A Place Called Heaven, both on CD and DVD, plus a copy of the original best-selling book by Dr. Jeffress, A Place Called Heaven. But time is running out to take advantage of these resources. Be sure to get in touch right away. Call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. If you'd prefer to write, here's the mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us next time when Dr. Jeffress answers the troubling question, why does God send people to hell? That's coming up Friday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Plain of Megiddo. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sights for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel and sign up before September 30th to receive an early bird discount. To learn more, go to ptv.org.